taught me that anxiety about dying waxes and wanes throughout the life cycle. Children at an early age cannot help but note the glimmerings of mortalities surrounding them. Dead leaves, insects and pets, disappearing grandparents, grieving parents, endless acres of cemetery tombstones. Children may simply observe, wonder, and, following their parents' example, remain silent. If they openly express their anxiety, their parents become noticeably uncomfortable and, of course, rush to offer comfort. Sometimes adults attempt to find soothing words, or transfer the whole matter into the distant future, or soothe children's anxiety with death-denying tales of resurrection, eternal life, heaven, and reunion. The fear of death ordinarily goes underground from about six to puberty the same years Freud designated as the period of latent sexuality. Then, during adolescence, death anxiety erupts in force. Teenagers often become preoccupied with death. A few consider suicide. Many adolescents today may respond to death anxiety by becoming masters and dispensers of death in their second life in violent video games. Others defy death with gallows humor and death-taunting songs, or by watching horror films with friends. In my early adolescence, I went twice a week to a small cinema around the corner from my father's store and, in concert with my friends, screamed during horror movies and gawked at the endless films depicting the barbarity of World War II. I remember shuddering silently at the sheer capriciousness of being born in 1931 rather than five years earlier like my cousin Harry who died in the slaughter of the Normandy invasion. Some adolescents defy death by taking daredevil risks. One of my male patients, who had multiple phobias and a pervasive dread that something catastrophic could happen at any moment, told me how he began skydiving at the age of 16 and took dozens of dives. Now looking back, he believes this was a way of dealing with his persistent fear of his own mortality. As the years go by, adolescent death concerns are pushed aside by the two major life tasks of young adulthood, pursuing a career and beginning a family. Then, three decades later, as children leave home and the end points of professional careers loom, the midlife crisis bursts upon us and death anxiety once again erupts with great force. As we reach the crest of life and look at the path before us, we apprehend that the path no longer ascends, but slopes downward toward decline and diminishment. From that point on, concerns about death are never far from mind. It's not easy to live every moment wholly aware of death. It's like trying to stare the sun in the face. You can stand only so much of it. Because we cannot live frozen in fear, we generate methods to soften death's terror. We project ourselves into the future through our children. We grow rich, famous, ever larger. We develop compulsive, protective rituals. Or we embrace an impregnable belief in an ultimate rescuer. Some people, supremely confident in their immunity, live heroically often without regard for others or for their own safety. Still others attempt to transcend the painful separateness of death by way of merger, 
with a loved one, a cause, a community, a divine being. Death anxiety is the mother of all religions which, in one way or another, attempt to temper the anguish of our finitude. God, as formulated transculturally, not only softens the pain of mortality through some vision of everlasting life, but also palliates fearful isolation by offering an eternal presence and provides a clear blueprint for living a meaningful life. But despite the staunchest, most venerable defenses, we can never completely subdue death anxiety. It is always there, lurking in some hidden ravine of the mind. Perhaps, as Plato says, we cannot lie to the deepest part of ourselves. Had I been a citizen of ancient Athens circa 300 BCE,